0: Hey, what's going on guys? Dom, the movie nerd here. And have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back. Well... Not really, but the first official spin-off, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. All right, people, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're back to close off November right before we get into the last month of the year. That's right. 2021 is almost over. You could tell by my shadowy, ominous, loomy, gloomy lighting that we're clearly doing House of Gucci. I've got Adam Sober back (laughs) from I I don't really know where he's been, but he's been doing quite a lot recently. Adam, happy to have you back on the show, dude. Have you been?
1: I've been great. Thank you for having me, man. I mean, this past year has been such
0: a, a roller coaster,
1: a shit show, a roller coaster. A lot of things have happened since we graduated. And yeah. the last time, last time I was on it was, pre-pandemic. Was, yeah, it was literally like a month or two before we, uh, before I moved up to, uh, Liverpool. Syracuse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and cause I went, it was you and Brandon. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I moved up and then just the world just started to collapse. Lops. Um, but, you know, right now, I'm I'm in a very uh, fortunate and uh, very lucky position. Um, That's good. Yeah, I well, just, we're, we're yeah. here to
0: review House of Gucci today and uh, all of that and more. Stay cool. tuned. We've upgraded since the last time you it were here. It we seems got like it. Now. We got music <laughs> now. Yeah, that's how long it's been since Adam has been on the channel. He hasn't been brought up with all of the new changes. But people, like I said, we are reviewing Ridley Scott's Second film that he's put out within 2021. The dude is 80 plus years old and I still have no idea how he manages to do this, but he somehow has. We are here to review House of Gucci, which is the film that semi-chronicles the rise and fall of the Gucci empire, which is ironic considering the fact that it's one of the biggest fashion labels in the world, but it didn't quite happen until all of the family members had left the agency. This is a film that stars Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, Jared Leto in some sort of makeup job that makes it look like a stuffed pig Jeremy Irons and Al Pacino. <laughs> it is one of the most oh, it is one of the most hyped up movies of the year, simply for the fact that it's not a Marvel superhero movie. It supposedly True. is getting slated for a bunch of Oscars. Adam, before we get this started, what is your previous relationship with Ridley Scott movies? How many Ridley Scott movies have you seen previously? Like what are you a fan of his movies? Oh man. And-
1: I mean, I love Ridley Scott. I mean Blade Runner for me was one of the the films that got me really into filmmaking in high school. Uh, I watched it in, in my film class and I just fell in love. Like I developed, I mean, I, I've loved movies since I was really young, but that was one of those films that just changed the game. Not only for me, I mean, just in the genre of like being a, a neo-noir um, you know, sci-fi, philosophical, like it did so many things. It, it touched on so many topics um, and it's still one of, I think, the greatest films made in cinema history.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Rid- yeah, Ridley Scott, the whole thing about him with me is that if Ridley Scott's doing an epic like a historical epic or a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. sign me up like yeah it, because it, it, again like you look at what are the biggest ridley scott movies that people come to know and like i've really ingrained themselves in mm-hmm. the staples of the pop culture right alien blade runner mm-hmm. gladiator you know you get a random one-off yeah. sometimes like he'll do like a felman louise and that usually could break through like a mm-hmm. master mm-hmm. Man, which i really like american gangster which kind of flew under the radar back in the day
1: but underrated underrated very very yeah.
0: underrated but Ridley scott is one of those really interesting filmmakers where so he was technically technically a part of the film Bratz generation in the 70s, but like George Miller, he didn't really break out until the very end of the decade, right? Because Alien Mm -hmm. didn't come out until 79, and he only had one film before that, The Duelists. Um, He's always... I don't know, like when, whenever you think of a Ridley Scott movie, you never think of it in the sense of like a Spielberg or a Tarantino movie in the sense that like he's an incredible filmmaker, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily recognize him because of stylistic choices, right? Like with Scorsese, mm-hmm. you always recognize the camera techniques and the and, exactly. the and the similar actors that he has and the tones that he goes with. Same thing mm-hmm. with Spielberg, same thing with Tarantino. But with Scott, you never necessarily... He likes
1: to change up his style. He, I, I really like that. I mean, I love being able to do lots of different stories because you should have a style, but you should also be able to speak to lots of different things as a director, as a filmmaker, as a, as a creator, you know, as a, as a creative. Um, So when it comes to Scott, I think uh, with his kind of style, he, he tailors it to every project he does. Um, I definitely liked House of Gucci more than All the Money in the World, although that was amazing how he pulled that off, especially with the scandal, uh, you know, with, with Christopher Plummer, who yeah. is amazing, and he he came in and learned his lines and replaced and did all those scenes in like, I don't I like, know, like two three days,
0: Three days, I think it was three days of filmmaking, and he, he was the only person recognized at the Oscars for that movie, which is wow. insane to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean... When you when you think about Christopher Plummer, I mean, his his impact, that's a sep- that's a whole separate episode we could do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott is definitely super influential on me. Spielberg as well. I mean, I grew up, you know, one of the, the things also was uh, Indiana Jones, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, masterpiece of a movie. Uh, when I went to Disney World and saw like the behind the scenes thing, I just fell in love. Um so yeah from a really young age I've I've had a passion for it. Um so yeah is there is there anything Yeah so uh, yeah, the yeah, big,
0: yeah. So the, big, the big thing that really um that my my whole thing with Ridley Scott is that he's an amazing filmmaker but I don't necessarily know if he's one of those people who's adapted to modern day sensibilities in filmmaking to the best of his ability so like I, I guess mm-hmm. like if we can break down a little bit of the history right so Ridley Scott the insane thing is that he's one of those directors who's had arguably like one of the most influential films of the decade for like mm-hmm. four straight decades in a row that's yeah. not an easy feat Alien for the 70s Blade mm-hmm. Runner for the 80s Thelma and Louise for the 90s Gladiator for the and Gladiator for the 2000s right? yeah. he, the 2010s I guess you can make an argument for The Martian maybe but it, it, it's very like again incredibly right. influential and mm-hmm. just big enough in order to like get him a lot of of like really good praise but like the thing is that like then you get the smaller ridley scott movies right the ones that come like in between the big ones like and like the, the ones that like nobody's heard of like somebody to watch over me white squall black mm-hmm. rain gi Jane, like these movies that nobody has heard of <laughs> really like, really oh just
1: God. in the background none of his uh none of his big like his Adam, big be name. honest, you've never heard of any of those movies that i just listened nope. exactly and i'm and i'm a ridley scott fan so exactly. you exactly. said those and i was like you're like what? What? yeah I was, like, try, I was trying to see if I knew any of those because, like, I, I'm big on I know, butterbox I
0: promise you, you haven't. But so yeah. something really weird happened in the 2010s, which is where, mm-hmm. so in the late 2000s after American Gangster, Ridley Scott had a couple movies that came out that were not well-received, to say the least. Because, Adam, mm-hmm. a little bit of a trivia question. Do you know what movie he released immediately after American Gangster? Oh, man. A little bit of trivia for you. I want to see if you get this.
1: Oh, this is, that's hard. Um... After American Gangster, did he, what did he do in between that and The Martian? A um, lot of movies, actually. It's it's kind of it like insane. big, like big ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because okay. I'm trying well, to. So, so
0: you want to know what they are? Yeah. So in between American Gangster and The martians you got a eight year gap between them. American gangster's mm-hmm. seven, The Martians twenty fifteen. You get Body of Lies in two thousand eight, starring Leo DiCaprio and Haven't Russell Crowe. Yes, famously, Leo DiCaprio mm-hmm. has collaborated with Ridley Scott. Then you get the mm-hmm. Russell Crowe Robin Hood in twenty ten. Mm-hmm. You get Prometheus in twenty twelve. You get the Saw Counselor that. in twenty thirteen, and then you get Exodus Gods and Kings in twenty fourteen. and okay. All of those movies. Have got a rep with the exception of Body of Lies, I'll say, have got a reputation around them for not necessarily the best reasons. Robin Hood was pretty critically reviled when it came mm-hmm. out. Prometheus was very critically divisive, but in recent years, it's gotten more of a, it's gotten more of like a cult following recently. I think that's probably because of the good grace that Damon Lindelof has earned in recent years. Mm-hmm. The Counselor is still one of the most baffling movies I've ever seen. Like, I haven't ever. seen that one. Either. It is- if you want a movie that you just want to like are scratching your head at at both how this movie got made and just how it's functioning, just Mm -hmm. watch that movie. And then Exodus gods and kings, which famously earned Ridley Scott uh, the the phrase where he said, Oh yeah, I'm not going to cast middle Eastern actors to play middle Eastern characters because nobody will watch it because it's not movie stars. Famously a uh, controversial quote to say the least. So I, that was really the moment where it started to show like necessarily his age as far as, okay, so he's not really making movies for, uh, for for audiences really mm-hmm. anymore, especially recently since he's now added himself to the list of directors that have just, mm-hmm. you know, gone after superhero movies. So yeah, yeah. in order for like, you know, uh, the social media hype. But so that's,
1: I mean, that's also another subject about superhero movies and just, I mean, I'm a big superhero guy. You know that uh, having that, honestly, I think of superhero movies as like the new Westerns yeah. because they're so popular. Like, right. when are we going to get sick of it? Like there were so many Westerns made in like the nineteen, I don't know, like nineteen like forties and fifties and stuff. But I think superhero movies are honestly the new Western right. because they're making tons of money. They have you know they're getting all these big names in there. Um sorry, I'm getting I'm getting off on a no, tangent.
0: But like, no, but yeah, go with it. You get, you get um
1: but I do think that there's merit uh to these superhero movies. I think a lot of them are art. I don't I don't think they're the roller coaster ride that scorsese described them as i mean i think a lot of them can speak to political issues a lot of them speak to social issues um you know world world problems you know people resonate and uh, i think really appreciate all these different characters that they can relate to in a very real way
0: my my Um, whole with the whole superhero thing as far as that goes and and like with with Scott's contribution to it is I'm not necessarily going to like say that any of the directors are necessarily wrong or right for having their opinion. They just have their opinions on them. My whole thing is I'm just mad at the media machine constantly baiting them into (laughs) these types of responses because that's literally all they do. They just bait them into these types of responses. They Mm -hmm. can get the Twitter crowd angry and flustered, yeah. you know, because that's kind of what it comes down to. My whole thing is I like superhero movies. I don't necessarily enjoy all of them the way that I used to. I'm not necessarily like craving every new bit of superhero content. Mm -hmm. I do definitely think I And I think this also has to do with the fact that we are living in the social media machine, which is why it feels so much more Mm -hmm. apparent than say when the Westerns came out is that it is that because we are inundated with so many of them for a year, it's not that they're bad movies, but they've kind Mm -hmm. of lost a little bit of their luster in the sense Mm -hmm. that in the sense that like how different can you really make them when there are so many, so many being made?
1: Yeah. You know, they do. A lot of them do start to feel a little cookie cutter, but I think that's honestly just a problem with the, the basic three act or eight sequence structure that most movies have. So, you know, you got, when, when it comes to superhero movies, you know, it's all the same, just with different characters and different things happening. And then at the end, there's a huge fight, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's formulaic so Uh, Marvel, (laughs) yeah i mean dc tries to be different which i appreciate i'm very excited for the batman um with you know dc's black label uh they're doing lots of really cool stuff but dc i'm not a huge fan of the movies i think some of them have done really well um you know like i think snyder the trilogy there are some positives some negatives you know First and foremost, I'm a DC fan, so I'm always gonna have that little bit of bias behind. Did you see me.
0: that? Uh, did you see that Snyder's doing a? Um, he's wrapping up his uh, Justice League arc in comic book form. Really? Yeah. Go, go ahead ahead, look gotta it up. Pick he that was up. Very, but he again, like I saw yesterday, he posted something on Twitter, like the social media. Yeah. He's already getting the Twitter crowd stirred again. He posted like a pic of Thanksgiving <laughs> pie, then he posted like a comic book pic of like of like the you know his version of Dark Side, and yeah. I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. Here we go again. We, we got friggin' five years of this that finally culminated in the Snyder Cut. We're doing it again. But yeah. I, I guess if anything, to bring it back to Ridley Scott, the point being is that Ridley Scott in recent years has not necessarily had the best track record where he's almost a little mm-hmm. bit become like a little bit of a Steven Soderbergh where he's mm-hmm. pumping out all these films. He put, he, again, this is the second year in in four years that he's put out Mm -hmm. two movies, right? Because he famously put out alien covenant and all the money in the world in 2017. And now he put out the last duel and house of Gucci this year. But I don't necessarily know if he's making movies anymore to really say something. It feels Mm -hmm. like he's just making movies for the sake of making movies that reflected, Mm -hmm. I think in the last duel where you have a movie that I'm sorry, Matt Damon and Ben Mm -hmm. Affleck as medieval characters, get the fuck out of here like that's first and foremost world. besides the fact that the makeup looks horrendous in that movie and the yeah. fact that okay that they have the gall to say that that movie's like Rashomon when mm-hmm. they don't even clearly understand like how Rashomon actually works structure wise okay and now you have this movie, which, if I can get into a little bit of my spoiler-free thoughts, functions somewhat like this strange mix between a Scorsese biopic, mm-hmm. a weird film at film version of Succession, mm-hmm. and an SNL stage play, I guess, is probably like <laughs> the nicest that I could give it. Where I, I saw the movie yesterday with my grandma. And throughout the first half of the movie, I'm constantly scratching my head and wondering, I'm like, is this a comedy? Like, what the hell is this movie trying to accomplish? Like you have lady Gaga in the lady Gaga and Adam driver in these ridiculous looking Mm -hmm. costumes, doing these ridiculous accents. Like everything is so puffed up. Everything is so ham. Everything is so over the top, but like it's intriguing to say the least, Mm -hmm. like the story itself in and of itself is fascinating because we're kind of seeing this flux of stories where, about you know just because of like social media and because like certain things that are like were previously mm-hmm. inaccessible are now so accessible you know you're kind of getting into like these you know the, these massive like kind of you know sprawling families and kind of getting like essentially like the new version of the crime epic but in the form of like these strange like family like um but what's the word I'm looking for for the god for like like family um like dynamic downfall. exactly yeah you know, um stories so I don't know I guess. Brass tacks immediate first thoughts after watching the movie because, like, I kind of coaxed you into it because you were kind of like, Oh, we should do Ghostbusters, we should do this, we should do this. And I'm like, Nah, we 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 got to do this. I, after I watched okay. it, I'm like, I need I'm, to talk I'm glad about this I am
1: glad I watched it. Um, I have it's still fresh in my mind, so I have lots of uh conflicting. I mean, I I, I read the article. <laughs> oh, I read, yeah, I read the article. Um, I think I'm very much on the same. Uh, same page with you yeah (laughs) but not for nothing i think it does a good like i get what you're saying about the scorsese biopic thing um it felt almost like i don't want to say wolf of wall street because wolf of wall street is amazing um but it did you know it for the um the only thing that really reminded me of it in parallel there was him you know becoming greedy and not caring for his wife and then having the affair and you know that kind of bringing in you know, drama, you know, but, uh, I think overall it tried to do a lot of things. It, you know, it, like, like reading the article, I was also, yeah. Like I laughed, you know, uh, yeah. I, to re- I laughed to reference what times. adams
0: to reference what Adam's talking about, I sent him an, uh, an entertainment we uh an entertainment weekly magazine uh, article mm-hmm. that I watched last night, which is a breakdown where they interviewed Tom Ford, the film director and fashion designer, who famously is in this movie. Not that you would know it because if, if you don't recognize the name, you'll blinker, you'll miss it. Oh, Tom Ford famously worked with the character, some of the characters in this movie, some of the Gucci that you see in this movie, mm-hmm. and famously helped to bring you to what it is. And he was interviewed, and some of the so the quotes that he said, and this is still one of my favorite quotes I think I've ever seen for an immediate film reaction afterwards where his exact quote is, the film is dot, dot, dot. Well, I'm still not quite sure what it is exactly, but somehow I felt as though I'd lived through a hurricane when I left the theater. Was it a farce <laughs> or a gripping tale of greed? I often laughed out loud, but was I supposed to? And I don't think I've ever agreed with an immediate take on a film from somebody within the industry as hard as I have with this one. Like, it's kind of insane how yeah. it captured my exact thoughts after the fact.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tom Ford is a- amazing. He's only done, what, two, two films? Two for- films. Two, Two films, films, Single Man and, and Nocturnal Animals. I've only seen Nocturnal Animals. I need to see a single man. Tom Ford, he has such a great sense of story and character. I mean, obviously wardrobe, duh. Clearly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think there were times like, this is a spoiler. So yes. um, I felt the sex scene well you know uh was a little too long i was little, laughing a, a little, hard at that i was, literally,
0: was yeah I, I, I was literally like <laughs> I, I don't even know what this is supposed to be
1: <laughs> yeah it was like i was like oh this is going on a little long <laughs> like like it was um you know it, it, it was uh i was you know and then it cuts to the um the wedding yeah. uh <laughs> I'm still just I'm I'm laughing thinking about it. There was a line by Jared Leto where he's like, you a sack of potatoes." <laughs> was, I was like, I I, I don't know a lot of it, a
0: lot of it was really funny. Uh I think right, but that's the problem is wasn't supposed to be. Like I I have to imagine where I'm like, I, I would it let back and this, forth. Yeah, this is one of the first instances in a long time, in a long, long time where I would have just loved to have been on the set during the day it just to see like what this direction was and like, just figure out where the motivation was coming from. Cause like for the life of me, I have no idea what Ridley Scott was trying to do with this movie. Like this is famously like Ridley Scott's Mm -hmm. had a couple of these where this is a project that he had had lingering in development hell Mm -hmm. since the early two thousands. And I don't necessarily know how he made it a decade or two decades ago. It would have made that much of a difference, but just considering the fact that the, the film plays out as like part farce, part Mm. tragic tale of greed like i don't know like did this almost feel like an adam mckay parody at times but without the self-awareness
1: honestly a little bit but i i mean you could chalk that up to maybe the editing maybe the editor saw something i mean obviously Ridley scott oversaw it um but maybe that was the best that they got for those scenes and he felt you know i mean sometimes when you're watching things you think oh this will work this will be funny each I, i think he did a good job balancing um trying to balance the tone i mean at the end it gets you know you see him get shot and killed right um but there are so many different moments in the movie i mean how can you put someone's life into you know two and a half hours and then so i think he i think i think i think not for nothing he tried to do a lot because it is so much to try and encompass a person with so much uh, you know emotional depth i did think there were things that didn't work but i don't think i don't think that that didn't uh that that ruined the whole movie for me i still yeah. enjoyed it um you know obviously the the costumes were great the set design was amazing uh i didn't think the accents were that bad i did think jared leto looked like he was in some kind of rubber <laughs> <laughs> like face mask rubber suit like, like <laughs>
0: um I still remember dude I don't know if I, if I if I said this to you I still remember when the first poster that had like the whole cast lined up you know it's like getting ready for like you know the Oscar promotional campaign and I just saw Jared Leto and I'm like what the fuck like what are you doing man come Jared on Leto,
1: Jared Leto pops into everything
0: Jer- Jared Leto is just like the king of online trolling at this point and I'm like look it,
1: I mean he's a good he's a people- good actor I don't yeah. I think I mean people hate on him a lot but I think he's a good actor I think um um, mm-hmm you know he's it, it, very very talented it, uh it just felt it felt very hokey and campy yeah like it's, it's like kind in the like these
0: I wish th- I wish that Chris was here because Gridley Scott's one of Chris's favorite filmmakers and whenever Jared Leto comes up in conversation he actually like has a lot of insight but like just to break it down for people like what this movie is about because I just realized we've been talking about this movie mm-hmm. the entire time but like there may be people who like don't actually know what this movie is about so this movie is actually based on the book that was written in 2001 The House of Gucci a sensational story of murder madness mm-hmm. glamour and greed by Sarah Gay Ford right it famously follows events that occurred between the late 70s and the early 90s, in which the heir to the Gucci empire, Maurizio Gucci, played in the film by Adam Driver, he's the son mm-hmm. of Rudolfo Gucci, uh, portrayed by Jeremy Irons, ends up falling for Patrizia Reggiani, mm-hmm. who in the film is the daughter of a truck driver who ends up worming her way into the Gucci empire and starts to uh, tear it down from within. Obviously, mm-hmm. bringing her into conflict with the other controlling interest in the company, that being Al Pacino's Aldo Gucci and his son Jared Leto as uh, Paolo Gucci. And mm-hmm. so the the film. I guess if I can break it down. So, like, as far as, like, the start of, like, some of my problems with it and, and like, kind of why I bring up the comparison Mm -hmm. to um, Martin Scorsese is that the thing about it is that whenever you watch a Scorsese biopic, like, there is just something about the way that Scorsese does a biopic. Mm -hmm. that really differentiates it from like most run-of-the-mill biopings, right? It's weird because biopings have been in this really weird spot for the last couple of years ever because the problem is Bohemian Rhapsody really kind of like started to screw them over as far as like breaking down the lines of like oh, what's real versus what's fictitious is this actually trying to be an ode to the real person or Mm -hmm. is this trying to like just create more sensationalism, you know, popcorn fun for entertaining people because Mm -hmm. we both know like kind of what a crapshoot Bohemian Rhapsody was but there are still a lot of people who love that movie and that movie made a lot of money. Do I think this movie's going to have the same impact no because no. Just, i don't know how many people are going to relate to like the gucci label the same way that yeah they would do freddie well mercury. it's a huge
1: it's a huge name i think people are interested in uh in the gucci name i don't know i mean obviously freddie mercury is a whole different thing i was surprised that um oh, man who was it uh remy malik or yeah um I, no i wasn't surprised that he won like it made sense out of the lineup of that year. I think I don't remember the other nominees. Um, there, there were only two that should have been there. Uh, put it that way. <laughs> Wait, who, is, who, so it who was? It was it
0: was Bale for Vice and Bradley Cooper for Star is Born. And right, those are the right. only two that should have been nominated to
1: begin. I with. think I think uh, I think Bale should have taken it for Vice. I mean, he was great as Dick Cheney. Yeah. You know, he the voice, the 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 weight he put on, the cadence of. I mean, really everything. But back to Bohemian Rhapsody. I think. Um, that was different. It won a lot of Oscars. Uh, the sound was great because you can't tell whose voice. You don't know if it's Rami. You don't know if it's a mixture of Freddie's vocals. Right. You don't know if it's it, Adam Levine. I think came on and did something. Um, and then there was Rocket Man, oh, which he, he did with he did, you know it is something all right in that movie. I'm surprised Taron Egerton didn't get nominated for Rocket Man.
0: I am not because I think that enough people were still burned out from it, and also uh, mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody opened up late. Uh, the, it's the release date. Bohemian Rhapsody opened up in October. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Rocket Man opened in May. So uh, yeah, so th- there was a big disparity mm. there, just as far as the release dates. But I, I guess kind of like my whole thing with this is. It, it, as as far as the whole House of Gucci argument is, mm-hmm. it feels like it's trying to be like this epic sprawling tale, yeah. like crime and intrigue, right? But it, it feels like after like the first hour of the movie, it feels like every other scene, there's a scene missing, right? Where you have a mm-hmm. movie that is two and a half hours long and, it fe- and, and it's very mm-hmm. strange because this is it's very similar to... Another film that I saw earlier this year, obviously, The Many Saints of Newark, right? The Sopranos Mm -hmm. prequel movie that dropped on HBO Max, where it feels like a longer cut was Mm -hmm. desperately needed. And we both know that, like, this is well known. Ridley Scott is Mm -hmm. well known for his director's cuts, famously, just look no further than Kingdom of Heaven with the three hour long director's cut of that, which might be one of the best epic, uh, historical epic films ever made. Like, that Mm -hmm. truly does feel like a modern day Lawrence of Arabia. But that I feel like is problem number one because that kind of contributes to like some of the plot antics and plot semantics of it because mm-hmm. I feel like at a certain point, it's like the, the film will just be jumping around to like random things and character motivation start to not make sense at a certain point. And it feels like there are certain things that are missing that it feels like there should be included. And mm-hmm. I definitely think that the biggest thing that doesn't help is the fact that because the film is so way down in its tone, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that makes for the most compelling of characters because just for my money, at least, the minute that each and every one of these characters are introduced, I got him figured out like immediately. And I know exactly Mm -hmm. where they're going to go. I know that you could just tell, like, I know that Gaga is going to like cause the unraveling and is going to try and warm her way up. But I know that Pacino is going to be the kindly old man who gets screwed over. And at that point, Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of waiting for him to have the explosive Pacino moment that we all know is coming, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think i mean Pacino's great in everything he does. I mean, he was, I think he was a highlight of this movie. I mean, he wasn't in it much, but I think he was a highlight. Um, the makeup job they did on Jeremy Irons was good, uh, which I didn't think his accent was.
0: Yeah, I was about awful. to say. I'll bring up one thing. I'm like, so wait, all everyone is of course going after Jared Leto because he just makes himself a target, but nobody's going to talk about how awful Jeremy Irons, whatever yeah. the fuck accent that was, is. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think Jeremy Irons, uh, was also you know he wasn't in it much, um, but he you know he he does make. Uh, an impact as a character. Like um, I do agree with, with Ford on that. Uh, But when it comes to the other characters, I don't think Adam driver was phoning it in. Um, I think he gives a good natural performance. Um, You know, like there were a few scenes that were really nice and, and really, um, you know, like heartwarming, you know, like him, you know, with the baby and, you know, then you see, but that's like before any of the, the drama um him and you know when he's when they get married and all that uh but yeah lady gaga i think was good i think she carried a lot i think she carried a lot of the weight not that they're not both amazing amazing a- actors um but i just felt i don't know what it was i just think maybe with adam driver we could have seen a little i wanted to see more i wanted to see the the same emotional range that he had in um like marriage story uh, obviously different different story, different films, different character. but um I would have liked to see a little I mean there's one scene that was f- like brightening with you know when he puts his hands around her and p- throws her up against the the door or the wall right. um, and you know it's also very different from Annette, which was right he I think he gave his best perf- one of his best performances in that film uh that movie movie of the one of the top movies of the year for me um at least but i would have liked to see a little bit more with uh with that character i again i do think lady gaga did a, a really good job
0: yeah lady gaga for me was definitely one of the highlights but i'm i'm mm-hmm. with you as far as Driver. like for me the biggest thing that i see with driver in this movie is kind of the through line to like, obviously, like kind of mm-hmm. when he starts to realize that Gaga is screwing with him and just screwing with everything he knows and then he finally divorces her. Mm-hmm. And you're like, OK, thank God, like you're just waiting. But then all of a sudden, OK, now he's a now he's an evil businessman. Like they mm-hmm. felt like there was something missing. Yeah, you know? we didn't
1: see we didn't see the um we didn't see the evolution or or de evolution of the character to the point where we believe that he's a bastard. Right. We're supposed to because by the end of it, you're like, wow, what a sicko like what a you know and then we didn't see we didn't see anything in we felt like the middle was missing of him going you know like we see all the money and stuff and behind the scenes uh but we don't really get um like a turning point moment uh or maybe we do and i just didn't catch it but we don't really get like a turning point moment where we're like wow or or maybe that turning point was him with the affair and the um uh what was it
0: oh yeah you mean the affair that literally comes out of nowhere he just they've just run to switzerland and then he's like oh yeah this is my super old friend that i'm clearly gonna cheat on you with
1: yeah yeah i mean maybe that was his um i'm i'm a douchebag moment now um but yeah i mean it felt it felt like something something was kind of was missing to see that character become someone you know completely different
0: yeah, it's it's one of those instances where – and I'm glad that you're helping because this mm-hmm. is kind of like helping to contextualize a lot of the problems that they have because I, I do like – as problematic and as kind of jumpy and all over the place as the tone is, I do like – the first hour of the movie, I do think that like the build up, them meeting, it's it's a little bit traditionalist biopic. I feel like it could have been done a little bit more, but it does feel that's the most interesting part of the movie, being introduced to this world, being introduced to this empire, like kind of what it means. But you're right, because around the middle half, it starts to feel like a whole lot of moments that are just happening. And kind of like the juicy behind-the-scenes character moments aren't there, right? And a lot of it feels like it was cut for time just in order to, like, make. because, again, Ridley Scott's like one of the only filmmakers that can get, like, a two-and-a-half-hour runtime, mm-hmm. and this is an Oscar-bait film. So, obviously, the producers are going to let this be a little bit on the longer side because, the, you know, Oscar films, especially more recently, have tended to be a little bit on the longer side mm-hmm. unless they're A24 The biggest thing for me is because it's seemingly like missing that natural Mm -hmm. through line. It makes it almost feel just like a series of vignettes that are tied together rather than an actual full, complete vision of a film. And I guess this is the part where I wanted to jump in and have the streaming discussion, because this is Mm -hmm. really a thing that I'm starting to see impact a lot of the films that are coming out now, which is. And I've had this discussion, right, because, again, it's very, very similar to the discussion that I had around Many Saints of Newark, which is where I'm like, okay, it seems to me that with all these films that are coming out now, it's either a longer cut or a miniseries. And, Mm They are constantly in this mode now where, and you especially see this from these directors where these directors are so against the idea of kind of everything becoming streaming and everything becoming television, and everything becoming content mm-hmm. quote on quote, and they have to preserve the theatrical experience. But the problem is the films are most of the time, not good enough to justify it. Like, so, like I'm sorry. Mm. And, and I know I gave Dennyville a new flack about this a couple of weeks ago, but we but we know the HBO max thing was not his fault, but Dune To me, Mm -hmm. the HBO Max thing, weirdly enough, helped, but Dune to me was the first truly cinematic film that I've seen in a while probably mm-hmm. since tenant i know you know we we all we've all had the tenant discussion yeah. up at this point that's been done to death but like be honest adam how many films now like obviously you know we hear directors talking and crying mm-hmm. complaining about the preserving the theatrical experience but even even the greats like spielberg with his west side story movie like i'm sorry that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily look like it's worth watching in a theater to me you know so like mm-hmm. i guess just my question is is like Hmm. is there, like, a more proper version as to, like, how to watch this? Like, does this deserve the miniseries? Especially because, again, like, you Hmm. have the of so many examples of a story like this working much better in a mm-hmm. long form televised form rather than in a theatrical form. Like you have yeah. Succession, you have Billions, you have all these different shows that focus on these types of like corporate machinations, mm-hmm. like kind of like the corporate intrigue and drama. Yeah. Like it really does suit itself more so for dramatic long form television. So I almost can't help mm-hmm. but feeling in this instance that this would have been more interesting as a miniseries. But I don't know. What's your take on that?
1: Wow. I mean, uh, now that you bring that up, uh, it reminds me of uh, they did a mini series about uh, Versace. There you go. Uh, the uh, second in the American Crime Story. Yeah. I mean, what was that on FX or something? Yeah,
0: FX. Yep, because it was the yeah. follow-up to People for Sojay.
1: I mean, I think that would have been cool if they did this as a like you know a little mini you know one season thing to get everything in. But you know maybe Ridley Scott didn't want to do that. I don't think he, at his age, he's not someone who's trying to get onto small screen or right you know with his with his name that he you know he wants people in the theater he wants people to see it on the big screen um which is understandable i think when it comes to streaming uh you know it it's it's both good and bad because or at least for movies uh for tv it's great for movies, it is taking away from the big screen experience—the sound, the you know. When you go into a theater, it's a different experience. It's it's a much more uh, intimate way to kind of escape into the story. Um, so I think when it comes to you know just the story of of, of Gucci overall, I don't know if it has the draw. Um, to bring people to theaters right. like other movies do. Um I think there are plenty of movies that are getting people back to theaters because they were so damaged last year by corona and people being afraid. And um, you know, like I myself, I mean, I'm a huge movie moviegoer and I didn't I wasn't able to go for a long time. Um, you know, I went after I got vaccinated. Um and you know, that's you know, it was it was a, a weird uh weird thing to watch Movies on my TV or my my computer, um, just because it wasn't the same. I mean, I you know you experience it differently when you sit in the theater,
0: right? I I think that's an interesting point because the thing that I've noticed a lot is I was absolutely convinced that mm-hmm. theaters were gone during the pandemic i'm like there's no way they can come back there's mm-hmm. no way that financially they can make a comeback from this obviously just with everything that happened during covid and mm-hmm. then i was obviously shocked once things started opening and just how excited people were to get out right but that obviously had to do with you know being trapped in their houses and not being able to go anywhere for a year but now that mm-hmm. we've had like a couple months we've had roughly like six to seven months now of people going back to movies and now yeah. that we've effectively like gotten out of like the summer blockbuster phase of world in a little bit of an oscar season right now right mm-hmm. you have movies like Yeah, movies like King Richard and Belfast and movies like Mm -hmm. that that are coming out that are starting to like spruce things up a bit, get ready for the Oscar race. But Mm -hmm. a thing that I've noticed recently is that, and this was kind of really starting to happen before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but this is a thing that I feel like has been sped up as a result of it, which is that obviously the only movies that are really making money Mm -hmm. at the theaters are the spectacle fair, right? You know, obviously the Marvel movies, the horror movies, you know, the three mm-hmm. guys of the world, really any action movie, right? The ironic thing also being that action movies can do just as well on Netflix because the mm-hmm. ironic thing is that you had a Ryan Reynolds action comedy that opened in theaters in which, August. Which they- one? Free Free guy. guy.
1: Oh, I thought you were talking about Red Notice.
0: Well, and then you had a Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot action movie that went straight to Netflix. Red Notice. So, like that, the action movies in a little bit of a weird spot right now, where that one Mm -hmm. really is interchangeable. But I, I, I think what's really fascinating about this is seeing how many of like the mid level budget films. Mm-hmm. Can survive in theaters. That's going to be like what's really interesting going forward because famously King Richard, mm-hmm. which was the most recent Will Smith Oscar bait film that also opened on HBO Max, second to last HBO Max drop of the year, by the way, before The Matrix, mm-hmm. um, and that one flopped heavily. Mm-hmm. You know the whole HBO Max simultaneous drop has been really interesting, mm-hmm. but I, I guess the whole interest of this film as mm-hmm. far as seeing its box office—that's
1: that is sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, yeah go that ahead, is then. interesting though because HBO Max um i think it has brought a lot of people to uh to pay for for that as a streaming service so they can make you know uh pretty much any content they want to make it's giving the um the people that are making the shows and movies i think it's giving that i think it's giving them more freedom because now the money is coming directly from uh from the audience right and they're like You know, when you're paying for Disney Plus, you're like, I want to see Book of Boba. I want to see more Mandalorian. So it is kind of, you know, like people are giving their money to, um, you know, to things that they want to see. And it's just everything is on demand. Everyone wants certain things. And I think The, it's a much easier is, way
0: to appeal to the consumer market rather than yeah. kind of you know provide and so i think that's also i really got mm-hmm. to touch on that because i think that's another of the big reasons why you're seeing streaming mm-hmm. more than anything else you know kind of consume the theatrical demand because mm-hmm. the whole thing with the theatrical experience is that it is a little bit of a give and a take you know you are giving up your time you are giving up mm-hmm. your hard-earned dollars but the payoff is that you could get an experience unlike anything other versus the at-home mm-hmm. consumer based experience you watch what you want to watch when you want to watch at your own leisure right so yeah. that of Course is the kind of the push-pull back and forth of streaming. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing is, and this is kind of like my last point that I think is this is the thing that I think that not a lot of filmmakers and just people in Hollywood are really seeing, which is that mm-hmm. the not necessarily people our age, right, or people like us who like we've been brought up on movies, we love going to the movies our entire life and existence has been around the traditional movie-going experience. But if you mm-hmm. talk and look at like average like consumers, like they people just don't in general like watching movies per se, you know, like, like the whole th- mm. the whole reason why you've been seeing the whole, like movies need to be spectacle movies, need mm-hmm. to be events. Movies need to be like, they need to have that extra edge. You know, I think that's a big reason yeah. why you're seeing, you're going to start to see video game movies, make a big, they're yeah. going to they're, they're gonna get a big push forward is because yeah. Resident and evil, I just watched the new Resident Evil movie recently, Resident Evil, Raccoon City, and that was mm-hmm. a movie that I went having no expectations for. I'm not mm-hmm. a video game guy. I've never played it. The only thing I know about the Resident Evil is the Mila Jokovic, yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson, however many friggin' of those movies that they made. And... Mm. The thing that shot the hell out of me about raccoon city is mostly just that it was a competently made film. Mm-hmm. And that of course, the people who showed up for it are going to be the diehard video yeah. game heads. And so I think that right now is going to be a market because that, mm. I mean, the gaming audience is general. I mean, you play video games and so you can tell me better than more like the gaming audience. Mm-hmm. That's like that. That's yeah. like the superhero audience on steroids. You know, like you're going to, I like, think like, yeah. what, what, what filmmaking has become now is it is, and I've been talking about this for a couple of years right now, right? The transition of these niches into the mainstream, right? You saw it with superhero mm-hmm. and nerd culture, right? That's good. Now you're going to start to see it with more like video game, IP, stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of the next step, right? And so I guess that more than anything else is what's scaring these filmmakers is because these filmmakers, a lot of them, you know, especially the older ones, they came up in a time mm-hmm. where filmmaking essentially was really the only media and so they could effectively Mm -hmm. tell these really interesting and engaging stories about reality and now you're having these filmmakers try to tell these stories in a Mm -hmm. decade in an era where everybody just wants to tune out from reality you know reality is just so overbearing so overwhelming really now more so than anything else because of the constant social media push because of the constant Mm -hmm. big tech push constant 24-hour news cycle everything getting pushed in your face you're just your neuron receptors can't handle it and so that's why it's overwhelming it's overwhelming exactly that's why you're starting to see more of a Mm -hmm. push Into, like, kind of these new arenas of escapism. That to Mm -hmm. me is why superheroes are having such a success story right now. I I think they're making a little bit of a mistake by constantly trying to push real world politics into Mm -hmm. superhero films and just pop culture entertainment in general. But that is mm-hmm. for me, at least why kind of the argument appeals towards those types of filmmakers, but how that affects something like house of Gucci. Like I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, ultimately I'm kind of surprised that this hasn't already found like a major thing with like the meme audience. Right. Because I mean, you see a movie like this, this is like mm-hmm. a ripe target for the meme makers, you know, Like <laughs> again, I mean, again, it's like opening night. Like you'll see like the first 50 million memes pop up, mm-hmm. you know, like what, well, what superhero movie do you know now? Forget that. What superhero trailer can you see now that doesn't already have like 15 million memes pop up? Like I'm I'm yeah, still seeing Spider-Man. I mean Spider-Man. Exactly. I'm still Hold seeing on. new Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm still seeing uh, new Spider-Man memes uh pop up all mm-hmm. over the place. But um my big thing is um and again, like I, I guess kind of the source of dissatisfaction that comes for me is that while the movie in and of itself is kind of um interesting but not necessarily for the right reasons my whole thing that i'm worried about is as these filmmakers continue to make movies consistently for themselves it seems there you're gonna see this growing divide between them mm-hmm. and audiences like spielberg is making west side story mm-hmm. again it's like guy yeah you just go and watch the original like I, I really don't know what this is going to contribute ultimately. and like scorsese kind of yeah. lucked out because scorsese Um, Scorsese kind of hooked himself onto the streaming train that usually Mm -hmm. bodes pretty well for auteur filmmakers, right? He made the Irishman for Netflix. He's making killers of the flower moon for Apple Mm -hmm. TV. Apple TV is also bankrolling his next film about which is going to, uh, which is going to start Jonah Hill as Jerry Garcia, the grateful dead band member. Um, they also obviously are bankrolling uh, the Joel Cohen solo mm-hmm. Cohen uh, tragedy of Macbeth adaptation with Denzel, that which looks, looks great, yeah, unbelievable. So like the yeah. streamers are really going to be the places to look forward mm-hmm. to look going forward, obviously for long form filmmaking. So I guess that's why I guess um, mm-hmm. Scott's apprehension towards streaming, if there is any, right? There's no obvious proof of it. I guess mm-hmm. it's a little bit confusing to me because pretty much all of his peers are going towards streaming. Spielberg's next film is going I mean, to Netflix.
1: I think he's trying to. To, uh preserve the art and and the experience of going to the theater i mean spielberg even a few years ago was against netflix films even getting right uh you know being nominated those, unless they were those in, dollars unless, though unless they when, were netflix in, is,
0: when netflix is the only one to bet when, when netflix is the only but one But they have
1: their theaters now so that's the big true, difference true. He but was that, like, but that,
0: that's only for Oscar that's only so they yeah. can get around the whole oscars hating them thing let's be let's be real here
1: yeah yeah i mean because let's face you it, said something, you said something just, earlier. Yeah. You said something earlier that was interesting about um, escapism and how, uh, you know, with how much media there is, it's a little overwhelming. Um, I totally agree. But there's also something to be said about how much free content there is being made. Like YouTube changed, also helped change the game because people are just making what they want and they have so much freedom to to be or or make what they want and i think um like we were talking about with like corporations kind of hopping on the bandwagon i mean you go to the trending page it's not youtubers anymore you see you see jimmy fallon you see jimmy kimmel you see all these late night uh you know clips that are being uploaded and you know that's you know obviously bringing them tons more money um but when it comes to small screen versus big screen uh i don't think i don't think tv is dying i just think less people are watching now more than less people are watching now because there's streaming because there's the internet because you know it's so easy to find and watch content that you want in a separate way i don't think uh i don't think cable is is dead i think it's still is uh you know it's still huge um but when it comes to movies it does feel like they're dying a little bit because of the past year i mean i try and go as much as i can uh i think you and i both are are uh, physical physical media people like you know books and and having dvds and or blu-ray or Depends you know on the
0: day is what i'll say
1: yeah yeah, I mean, I've picked up a few things on like Criterion Collection or Blu-ray that I felt, you know, very strongly about. Um, so I have like a little bit of, you know, uh, some some movie collection. Uh, you know, I, I one of my um, my friend's dad gave me his old VHS collection. We have that, you know, downstairs. So uh, I'm still I'm still pretty big um, physical physical media person. I mean, there's nothing like sitting down. And and reading, uh, you know, a book or having the physical case. um, It just it feels a little more um, authentic. I guess that's the word to say. Or,
0: you know, it's a little more personal. Right. Right. I mean, because that's the whole. Yeah. I mean, you and I. You, again, we we both remember watching those videos back in film school about the differences mm-hmm. and the people who support uh digital versus um f- uh, digital versus physical media and like the biggest yeah. arguments against digital uh, digital media in general. And Quentin Tarantino has been talking about this for mm-hmm. a long, long time, long before streaming was a thing. Is just the overall quality of it, right? The the mm-hmm. he says it himself. It's like it makes the it makes the the the. What, what's it called it makes the format feel more disposable and, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what you've been seeing with yeah. the breaking down of streaming is the increased disposability of media where just think about it right you think mm-hmm. about like back in the day when they only had reels of film and if they fucked it up that was it you know yeah. like just think about just the how much value it places on it. and all of a sudden the massive yeah. amounts of thousands upon millions of dollars that are thrown into this industry was. it makes sense but now mm-hmm. obviously with how you know, consumable and how easy it all is. Right. And Mm -hmm. filmmakers have talked about this too. They're like, yeah, of course, what's the number Mm -hmm. one thing in order to decrease the value of something, make more of it and make it as easily accessible as possible. Yeah. Do you, do
1: you know, um, was house of Gucci shot on, Uh, film or was it if i'm
0: not mistaken it was shot on film
1: but i gotta which makes sense because it's scott so he's like i want it on film obviously it's gonna be on film in that sense obviously i mean i think it's much cheaper and much easier to do digital um but film just has a little bit more of again it's about authenticity the art form uh the color the color that picks up on film right and the the actual resolution is way different i mean it's not Way different. Digital sensors have
0: been, you know, they've been. They've been getting better. They've been getting. I mean, been, like they're amazing. Is, like Netflix's they're cameras amazing. are insane. What they're able to do, but they're, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, like just to give a perfect example, though, just as far as like you'll, ne- in order to like kind of contribute to the film experience, right? Like mm-hmm. every time now I see something where I can see the film grain on screen, I don't know, like it just adds like an extra level of like you know, a special feeling to that film. Like I remember when I was down at New York film festival back in October and I watched uh, come on, come on and red rock and both those film, mm-hmm. I could see the grain on every frame. And it just, it looked yeah. beautiful. It felt like I was watching art, you know, and I'm like, that's, oh, so this, this is where yeah. it comes from. This is what people are talking about when they say preserving, like that's another, that's another separate conversation. I yeah. also
1: saw come on, come on. Oh yeah. We, we got to talk about that. But um, I,
0: I guess if I, if I can wrap up our conversation just about house of Gucci, just in general, yeah. my final thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's a film that in hindsight, I definitely didn't hate as much Mm -hmm. as I thought I was going to, but it's definitely not one of my favorites of the year. I guess as far as like me recommending this to people, if you want to see something that is just kind of baffling and semi entertaining in Mm -hmm. like a little bit of a farcical way, but without actually like kind of understanding, like, how it's being farcical or what it's attempting to satirize. If it's Mm -hmm. trying to be a satire, sure. I guess this is good. The narrative is compelling Mm -hmm. enough. The characters are interesting enough. I think that kind of the story is good, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the kind of lack of consistent tone, lack of real, like kind Mm of purpose and aim as far as what it's trying to accomplish and what it's trying to say within the story and overall Mm -hmm. just complete Again, as Tom Ford said, attempting to just hammer it up beyond recognition from the actors. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this only gets a three and a half out of five stars from me. What about you?
1: Three and a half out of five stars. You know, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, if it was out of ten, again, I think it was just the uh, maybe seven, seven and a half. So yeah, I guess a three point five out of five stars. Um, I don't think, I mean. It didn't come off like an intentional satire in the way that Wolf of Wall Street was, which goes way over people's right. heads. I mean, there are right. tons of, you know, all these finance people and business business students that they look at Jordan Belfort like oh I want to be right him. as a role
0: model right and that goes back He's, to the fly club and he thing is, right and he
1: is not a role model the people watching those movies and same people who say it. that
0: good it's the same people who say that oh good fellas embellishes the mob and it's like yeah if you actually watch the movie you would understand that understand, it
1: doesn't yeah because Scorsese grew up around that life and that right. and is not trying to glamorize it in any way but it has been glamorized right and you know going going back to house of gucci i mean i i'm a big satire fan it, to me it didn't feel like a satire so i'm again i'm going to have to go with probably a 3.5 3.5
0: out of 5. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, with that being said people, uh that was it for our review of House of Gucci. Let us know your thoughts yep. in the comment section below. Make sure you guys have an extra special Thanksgiving even though by the time this episode goes up Thanksgiving will be over, but make sure that you know you stay safe with your families on that day. Make sure you get something nice for yourselves, maybe some early Christmas present for the rest of your family on Black Friday. Remember to treat your retail workers with with, with respect because trust me they don't want to be there in those work establishments adam thank you so much for coming back on to host this, with me, thank, this you, was thank you thank ab-
1: you for having me
0: absolute blast to have you back on i'm definitely going to have you back on more so for the channel like i said i'm trying to i'm trying Sweet. to expand the the talking tv kind of ca- rotating cast of players now and i'm definitely mm-hmm. adding you to the roster where can the good people follow you on the interwebs uh
1: you can follow me i mean i'm not huge on social uh but if you want uh follow me uh at adam somer films with Uh, underscores uh, on Instagram. Uh, You can follow me on uh, Instagram. Uh, If you look up Adam Somer, it should be uh, at M-R-A-R-S 97. Um, And then there's a different, there's a, there's two, I have two accounts. There's one that I made years ago as like a prank as like a, like a, a a fake, a fake account is, I love it. uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I don't use that one. I use the other one more so. Um, Yeah, so if you want to follow me there, um, you know that's that's where I'm at. So yeah, thank you.
0: Of course, you can follow me at Movie Nerd Reviews on Facebook and Instagram as always, and of course, be sure to follow the Talking TV podcast social medias at Talking TV podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Like I said, we got. Four weeks left in the year, people. We've still got more content coming your way. We've got three episodes left in our Succession Recap Series. Episode seven Mm -hmm. is coming out this week. I've got a couple more top ten lists for you guys. we have got a whole bunch of Marvel content planned for the end of the year for when Spider-Man comes out. Be sure to keep tuning in until the end of the year for more content. You should also click the subscribe button, click the like button, click the bell next it That way you guys get notified every time we put up new content. For myself and Adam, as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. See you guys next time.